Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Well, I guess uh, Born to Run, we were at 13, 14, we were all probably looking at where we lived, what, what we might accomplish, where we might move to, what we wanted to do with our lives. Um, obviously too young at that age in relation to the female relationships and things like that, but certainly just uh, in relation to ambition and uh, moving on to a better place, that certainly was a key mark uh, album to, to, to grow up with. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today in another timey-wimey episode, I have Tom McCormick, who is playing sick. He has asked me in advance to try to edit out his coughs and sneezes, but Tom is in Dublin. I am in Dallas. And we are both excited to talk about Bruce. Welcome to the show, Tom. Delighted to be on the show, Jesse. And uh, yeah, greetings from a sunny Dublin, a windy Dublin, but uh, we have a sunny day, but it's a windy day. Very nice. Uh, has it been a mild uh, winter so far? It, it is pretty mild here in Ireland, a uh, temperate zone, so we don't go below freezing, but then we don't go above 70 degrees either in the summer, so uh the jumpers are always, and sweaters are pretty much close to hand at all times. So, as I warned you, I can get off on topics. One of the things, um, for those of you who listen to the show regularly, know that um, a few years ago I started becoming um, slightly interested and then obsessed with Doctor Who. And um, I, I'm always amazed that how... Like back when Tom Baker was the doctor, he would always have his scarf in this coat. And um, and I realized that probably that in um, England, United Kingdom, and Ireland, it isn't as hot as it is here in Dallas. At Dallas, if we were the doctor, we would be in T-shirt and shorts. But I guess, as you say, it, it, it never gets that warm there for you, does it? It never does, Jesse. No, as I say, even in the height of summer, we might hit 70. It would rarely go above 75, um, in which case, you know, people are watering gardens and the golf courses and tennis courts are in trouble yeah. with uh, scorched grass and stuff like that. And against that, in the winter, we don't go below freezing. I think 10 years ago, we had a serious snowfall. But other than that, we've had no snow this this year, nineteen winter 1920, and uh, we, we won't have snow, but we could have pretty cold weather, but certainly no snow. Okay, very good. Um, so, once again, I always like to start at the beginning. So, talk about growing up. Where did you grow up with, Tom, and what kind of music did your family listen to? Well, obviously, I grew up in Dublin, but um, like a lot of Irish people, we have a lot of 
relatives in the States uh, for pure economic reasons. They would have left our shores back in the mid-1800s again and then start of the 1900s and again in the 1950s. So my grandparents, my maternal grandparents were actually married in Villanova University in Philadelphia. And um, a lot of our, their sisters and brothers remained in that area. And my grandparents, as part of their wedding gifts, people gave contributed money and they came back to a small farm in Monaghan. And um, my mum grew up there and then she married my dad and we grew up in Dublin. But uh, we've actually more family in the States than we do here in Ireland. Um, so I grew up in Dublin, but with a strong Irish-American background. That's cool. Um, obviously, there is a huge Irish contingent, um, especially in the East Coast, um, where, uh, you know, in the bigger cities of, you know, Boston and New York and, and the such. Um, talk, but talk to me about music. What kind of music did your family listen to? Uh, when you were younger? My my parents were quite musical and very good dancers, but again, mostly American um, influences. Uh, uh, the, the, the Rat Pack and all those were huge on the radio back here in the early 60s. I was born in 61, so um, Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, all, all those um, music were, were big on the radio charts. Uh, Johnny Cash, all, all those early influences of both American and Irish and global fans were all present on the radio. There were some local Irish artists, but they, again, were doing copies of uh, songs from Nashville and uh, all, all the other country and Western type songs as well. So that was my parents' generation. And growing up, obviously, I'm the same age as some of the guys in U2 and stuff like that. So U2 were on the scene when I was going through school and college. Um, I worked in a clothes store off Grafton Street and one of the girls in the store ended up marrying the Edge, his, his first wife, Ashley Evans. So I would have seen you two when there was no more than 200 people going to their concerts in McGonagall's back in the uh, late 70s. And obviously they became a global phenomenon and it just goes to show the power of rock and roll. Um, other acts that were very prevalent in Dublin at the time would have been Thin Lizzy, um, would have been Phil Linnett. Uh, who, who passed away a number of years ago, and uh, Tin Lizzy and Whiskey in the Jar were probably where they um, put rock and roll into an Irish ballad, uh, made their number one in the in the UK charts. But so they were probably the two biggest Irish acts that were on the go in the late seventies. You know, uh, Dallas. When we moved here in '86. Um, at the time, and there still is a good local music scene. I'm just older and don't spend as much time with it. But Lynn and I both were in our middle 20s um, and would go to a lot of different bands um, and, and loved local music. And, and I can only imagine a young Tom um, going to see, you know, you 2 at the beginning when they were just starting out. That must have been really fun it was really fun obviously um the early days they were pretty punky they were wearing um uh, colored hair and uh, multicolored uh, jumpers and things like that so they hadn't really defined the rock and roll edge they were still finding themselves as we all were uh, and some of the early stuff was quite punky rather than an alternative rather than now some of the big rock and roll anthems or, you know, rock anthems that they have now. But certainly there was a great buzz um, in, a, in young Dublin at that stage. Obviously, Ireland in the early 70s was just um, beginning to waken up as a European capital and a, a, a venue for, for, for global acts to arrive. So when Bruce arrived in 85, he would have been the first, from my point of view, global act that would have arrived in Ireland um, on, a, on such a big stage. Um, the, 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 the bands that would be in the arenas at that stage would have been Eric Clapton, who I saw in a boxing arena, and Elton John, uh, again, very early or early on in their careers, uh, again, in a, what was basically a boxing arena with about 6,000 seats. Oh, that sounds so much fun. One more U2 question. So you, you must have had a sense of pride that, you know, the local boys making good when you saw them starting to gain a more and more of a global following. And then with Joshua Tree, when they shot to stardom, the kind of the same way Bruce's Born in the USA shot him to a different level. Um, did you have that sense of pride? Like, oh, yeah, those are my mates and look what they've done. 
Well, it's certainly a huge amount of pride. They, they, unfortunately, they weren't mates as such, but they used to pop into the shop. But uh, they were yeah. they, even now. Uh, Bono's children are playing rugby. One of them is uh, has his own band, uh, and you can see that they're people of uh, they're they're band they're they're people of the people. If you're with me, they haven't got sure. races. They're still very much down to earth when they're in Dublin. Hi, how you doing? All that type of stuff um, on the on the side of the pitch he's given out, or about the referee, as most parents would be, or <laughs> encouraging his son to better things on the pitch and all that, and. Uh, you know, it's just nice to see that they haven't changed, haven't made that uh, huge jump to global stardom, that they're still the boys from um, the boys are back in town when they get here, you know? You know, Tom, it's it's we're all that way, aren't we? When we're watching our kids, whether it's Little League Baseball or, um, you know, as we call it, soccer or you guys football or, or rugby or, or whatever it is, you know, you're cheering your kid on and and you're um, hopefully giving the referee a respectful um, hard time, you know, with just I, – I always hate overbearing parents, but I also love the ones that like um, – like in baseball, a lot of times the umpire is in blue. And uh, so you hey, blue, come on, that looked a little close there. Or, you know, just having this wonderful – you become a fan of your child performing and becoming, you know, supportive. That that's a lovely story. I, I just can see them doing that. Well, it's nice to witnesses, and uh, I, I'm just saying it straight from the heart. There's no uh, gimmicks. I mean, that that's what exactly, particularly with Bono. That's uh, you know, that's exactly what himself and Ali are at the side of the pitch, uh, shouting uh, encouragement to the to the son and passing on. Um, some advice to everybody. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's great. So you mentioned 85 Bruce coming. Is is that when you first discovered him? No, I was, uh, as I say, born in 61. So I would have been 14 or so when Born to Run came out. So I was more Born to Run than Born in the USA. I just thought it was a magnificent album. It still is my favorite album of all time. Um, every song is just, you know, uh, just spot on. Um, but as I said to you, the, the Irish um, Ireland as a concert destination didn't really kick off until Lord Henry Van Charles put up Slane as a as a concert venue, and then Jim Aiken, who is the, the late father of Peter Aiken, who runs P- Aiken Promotions, took a huge chance, um, as we know, on uh, you know bringing um, major acts to a, a destination a good hour north of Dublin. So uh, Slane is a good hour north from, of Dublin. We don't have the didn't have then the, the infrastructure that we do now by way of roads, rails, uh, buses, etc. to get there. So for a lot of people like Dan French coming from the UK and all these, it was a pilgrimage to get to Slane. Uh, and yet, um, when you look at the uh, the books, anything from 60,000 to 100,000 were in Slane. Uh, the Slane Survivors, I think, is a, is a group that we've set up on Facebook. And we, we made it through because it got a bit uh, rowdy at the front. There was no such thing as pit queues or pits in those days. It was um, harem, scarem. People had a few beers early in the day. It was quite hot then. We might have actually gone above 70, 75 degrees that day in June. And um, there was quite a bit of um, pushing and shoving at the front because uh, obviously the music, once he came on and the, the, the strains of uh, Born in the USA came out, everybody was just rushing towards the front and it got a bit crazy. Bruce was a bit nervous, but uh, thankfully people settled down and enjoyed a super, super day. Um, you know, I it, it appears that I think Bruce has a special place with everywhere he plays, whether it's Philly or Jersey, um, you know, Italy, you know, where England, but it does seem that there's something special about him going to Ireland. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I suppose he learned as he got older a lot more about his Irish connection. Um, on a business point of view, I suppose he was very appreciative that Jim Aiken took a huge gamble they both did on the Slane concert, which set him up then for huge arena tours from then on. Mm-hmm. The first major arena that he had played over here. And I suppose when he saw the um, fan reaction, um, and, and some of those guys obviously wouldn't be fans. They're there for the few beers and the sunshine and whoever's playing is playing. But um, there's a lot of 
very, very strong uh, diehard fans here in Ireland, uh, England, and and across and across the world, obviously. But I think the maternal grandparents, all those Irish connections, um, obviously, there's also the history of troubadours here in Europe, where you know wandering minstrels back in the medieval days. Uh, brought the guitar, sang songs, got entertained, got a few bob and moved on. Um, so we'd see him as a wandering troubadour, uh, songwriter. Um, he's not just a poet, he's a songwriter. And uh, if there's a gap in the song, Clarence would fill the gaps and all that. We all know that. But, uh, you know, I think it's the um, the friendliness. We leave him alone. We don't tend to go for the selfies and the photos and all that stuff. When he's off duty, he might be at the RDS watching Jessica and, um, on, the, on the, the Dublin Horse Show in August. And he, he might get the odd fan, but he certainly can have his dinner and his uh, red best whiskey down in the long hall on his on, on his um, own terms. And uh, I think people just when he's on holidays, he's on holidays. When he's on tour, um, people want to get a, a, a commemorative photograph or souvenir of some, of some kind. You know, Tom, a lot of comments there. So excuse me if I I talk a little bit, but a couple of things. One that made me think of is um, there was a a really nice bar, Irish pub in New Orleans called O'Flaherty's. A guy named Danny O'Flaherty, originally from Ireland, uh, ran it, and it um, and after Katrina, he ended up having to. Um, shut down because you know this it's expensive in the french quarter and he was barely making it but at the time he had the the pub had two rooms and uh to the left was the bar and uh you know where they would um there'd be a rowdy crowd and sharing and then to the right was um the the stage and they had this huge sign that talked about the tradition of of music and storytelling and um and they set the expectation that this is a quiet place that talking during the songs is discouraged if not forbidden and um it was one of the few places where you could bring someone when chris was under 18 and so we would go there every time we go to New Orleans, and uh, we would sit there, and Danny would play and tell stories and, and, and sing. Um, and, and it was always – whenever I go to a small pub and um, with, a, with a band, a singer-songwriter, I always wish that the venue would have that sign because there's always people talking and, and visiting, and I just want to go, hush – there's someone singing on stage, so I think that's a. I think that tradition of Irish, um, and admiration of people who do that, I do think is part of the reason why he does so well and loves the city, you know, that country so much. Yeah, and I suppose we've all been at different concerts, and the guys beside you might be shouting and roaring, or just focusing on the beers and popcorns instead of listening to the songs. We all have our own particular favorite songs, and that might be the time they need a bathroom break or whatever. And you go, thankfully, uh, at least in the pits, uh, pit queues and stuff, um, you're with fellow diehard fans. You might have a, uh, a particular song, and you know, you know you're going to hear it. You know, So uh, yeah. that's in a concert venue. But I think it, it emanates from the, the history of giving Troubadours time and listening to the stories, and even though we've heard those songs, thankfully, many, many times, hundreds of times, you still want to hear it again, because every song is a bit different, there's a different inflection, he might change a line or two, because he's in Milan one week, he's in London the next, he's in Dublin the next, and he, he thankfully, um, he picks up on that, and he can uh, communicate with everybody in the audience by uh, changing a line or two and making it more personal. You know, and, and the other thing I wanted to mention is... Um, you talking about leaving him alone. Um, I, I've talked about this before in the show, but um, when Bruce doesn't tour, I I make my I do my best effort to go to Atlanta, Georgia, every Labor Day weekend because Dragon Con is this massive pop culture comic book sci-fi convention. It's over seven or eight hotels. 
um, you know, thousands and thousands of people attend with tons of celebrities and all kinds of venues from, from movies to TV to writers to musicians. And it's just this wonderful group. And one of the reasons why I have been told that celebrities like to go to this, like people from Star Trek or, or Doctor Who or Firefly or just what name, whatever popular TV show you want or movie, is that the audience as a whole, the people attending the conventions, are very polite. And so if they run into a celebrity in the wild, say at a pub or a restaurant, they don't bug them for autographs. They don't bug them for a selfie. They they may buy them a drink, and they may end up sitting down and talking. But um, and and it's very rare someone breaks that rule, and therefore the the guests of the show are more prone to go out and and visit and see the city because of that understanding and and i think that's a beautiful thing that they're in dublin and other cities in ireland you guys treat him that way because i know it, it is hard that if you saw him on the street you wouldn't want to oh it's bruce please let me take a picture but instead giving him his space is something that um is really a beautiful thing well, as I say, I think when they're on concert tours, you know, they're, they're they're in the public eye. But when they're on time out, then they're on time out. And I think that's hopefully respected um, by most people. Just just been a, been giving them time to relax. Yes. Um, why? What do you think? If you've thought about it, and I'm sure you have. But what about Bruce captivated you? What do you think about his music? spoke to you so strongly to make you so passionate about him? Well, I guess uh, Born to Run, we were at 13, 14, we were all probably looking at where we lived, what, what we might accomplish, where we might move to, what we wanted to do with our lives. Um, obviously too young at that age in relation to the female relationships and things like that, but certainly just uh, in relation to ambition and uh, Moving on to a better place, that certainly was a key mark uh, album to, to, to grow up with. Um, and then I suppose all, all the other uh, albums that have followed on documented other things that we all go through with our lives when we do dis discover relationships and career changes and education and moving from place to place and some relationships working and some of them not working out and uh, the, the uh, conflicts with parents, parental conflicts flicks with parents as we move through the teenage years into adulthood eventually and uh, uh, so I think you know he would be as, as it's been said thousands of times a soundtrack to a lot of lives because uh, he documents his own life so well and then we, we've married uh, some of that ourselves and then obviously given the geography some of it is specific to uh, to the states but um, there's still small towns in Dublin there's still small towns in London there's still small towns in, in Germany and, and Italy that people can relate to you know so there's a uh, again this is part of being a good storyteller is that uh, the stories that he he told a lot of people could translate into their own um, languages and, and their own countries. Yeah, I, well said, well said. Um, you know, Tom, there is, I, I think at times people can get overly caught up in numbers. So I always like to preface this question with the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live is in no way a barometer of how big of a fan you are. There are people that have never seen him that are as passionate a fan as someone who's seen him over a hundred times. But just for the record, uh, how many times have you seen him perform live? I would have seen him 31 times. Um, I've seen him on every tour here in Ireland, every Irish show. And then I would have gone and seen him in London and Hyde Park at Hard Rock Calling. And I would have seen him indoors at the O2 Arena uh, in the past with the... Um, the, the rising tour uh, again i tried to catch each tour i work in media and pr i work a lot of full-time uh, weekends with rugby and other sports so i i don't go to all the concerts but i certainly catch every tour 
And to get to Broadway um, in June of 2018 was certainly the first time I saw him in the States. But it just ticked a huge box because obviously that show wasn't going to go on the road. And then Western Stars, um, you may have seen some of the social media. Ireland has gone mad for Western Stars. We have still live uh, big screen versions of Western Stars still being shown now here in February. Um, next week uh, on the 6th of February, there's two showings of Western Stars in a 300-seat theatre. Um, and they had to add on a second show because the first show was so popular, despite the Blu-ray and uh, been on sale since mid-December. So um, I, I, I think uh, the Irish uh, certainly like Bruce, and I try to just catch each tour rather than each show of uh, multiple venues on the same tour. You know, um, I saw your social media. I saw you tweeted about that. That's that is wonderful. Um, I was lucky enough to go to see Western Stars twice on the big screen. Loved it both times. Um, I have seen it while it's on Blu-ray. Um, but I yeah, I do agree. It is pretty special on a big screen with the nice surround sound uh, that it is just so cool that um, you guys are able to experience that and share that. So that's great. Well, as you say, some of the scenes with the horses running in the desert and Bruce walking up towards the camera in the, the middle of the, the, the desert as well, they're, they're, they're big, big screens. It doesn't really translate to, no matter how big your TV is, it doesn't beat <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't. the cinema, you know? Yeah. What, um, you've already talked about how Born to Run still is probably one of your favorite um, albums, but... Talk to me, but what are some other songs or albums that mean a lot to you? Well, uh, let's see. Um, I think back in the the next tour after Slain would have been Tunnel of Love in the RDS in um, 88. Uh, and again, that was a completely different version. It was um, more toned down given what was going on with everybody at the time. Um, Ghost of Tom Joad also resonated a lot. That was a, a more personal show indoors in March. Devils and Dust, again, personal, indoors, that would have been uh, back in 2005. Uh, and then the Seeger Sessions, remember, um, that album, which is now just out on vinyl, or shortly to go out on vinyl, um, four, four nights in Dublin, um, you know, uh, three nights, uh, uh, you know, it was just super nice. I mean, they were just, uh, the party really started, and uh, a lot of those songs obviously resonate with the Irish. They would be more folksy, obviously, at the Pete Seeger uh, background and stuff, and that was, um, uh, you know, a, a, a huge, I think, factor why Bruce decided to record the, the CD from Dublin, because the, the crowd was just uh, so warm and sing-along. Um, this is what they sometimes say about the European audiences, we tend to sing more than the, the uh, U.S. audience for whatever reason. And uh, certainly the, 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 the walls were dripping, as they say here. It was with sweat. Everybody was ha having a great party at the Seeger Sessions uh, back in 06. I liked the Seeger Sessions CD. I didn't love it. But seeing it live, hearing it, the CD live in Dublin and watching the DVD, I was went, okay, this is where I needed to see the show performed live. This was something amazing. I totally agree with that. Um, any stories from the road you want to share with me? Oh, well, I think, I think the, 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 as I mentioned, the, the global fans are just, um, you know, people like yourself, myself, that are just so into the music. And I, I suppose we share the same values, the same aspirations for ourselves and for our families and for our um, countries, etc. Um, so I've met a, Thankfully, a, a lot of people uh, on a, in a global perspective that uh, you, could, you could share a supper with or, um, you know, share your house with. I've, um, two fans in particular, um, Andy Walker and Catherine Fleetwood Walker, as she is now, um, met them in the different pit queues in, in Ireland. And they got married a couple of years ago. And that was um, a whole conglomeration of um Bruce fans that had met in the UK and Ireland at different concerts, primarily through pit queues. And as, as you know, over here, like if you're first in line, you are first in line. There's no number at 600, so the first 600 are in or out. If you're in first or in the first 1,000, you're, you're guaranteed to be up the front. So the um, if you're sitting in a pit queue for 
three, four days, you tend to know everybody that's in the food. You probably know them better, and you're more open with them than you might be with some members of your family. Absolutely. (laughs) So the pit queue dynamics um, I really enjoyed uh, back in Crow Park in May 2016 when the Irish Bruce Buddies, which is a a loose affiliation of fellow Bruce um, fanatics, uh, were were tasked with the... um, the uh, running of the pit queue for Crow Park, those two concerts and uh, yeah. the Friday and the Sunday, because Crow Park previously had been, um, uh, they, they tried to run four or five different concerts of Garth Brooks and the local residents just thought that was too much. So there was a lot of, um, and, and some of the pit queues, people might follow Bruce on tour. So you might have Spanish or Italian fans first in line in Dublin that would run the pit queue. This time they wanted to make sure that, uh, somebody that with an Irish background could talk to the locals and stuff like that, and it worked like a dream. Um, they came in, and we we had a we we had a fun build up to Crow Park and uh, uh, the pit queue dynamics. As I say, there are people, you know, people from Frankie from Belgium, uh, you know, people uh, all over the globe that that listen to your your podcast and listen to all the Bruce media, and and it's just. Uh, a sharing of stories and um, as people go through their ups and downs in life and the fact that they keep coming back to Bruce to reinforce um, the positives and no matter how blue you might be, you put on, you know, a couple of songs and the next thing, life ain't so bad anymore, you know? Oh, um, absolutely. So that was pretty good. The uh, the scheduling part one year was a bit difficult in, in Limerick, uh, in uh, 2013, in the High Hopes tour, it was on the 16th of July, which is our 25th anniversary, wedding anniversary. So Brona and I, I said, oh, this might pose some trouble, not wanting to miss my, my record of attending all the Irish shows. So we made a two or three days out of it. And it made some of the national radio stations that the husband was going to the uh, Bruce concert in Thoman Park. And the wife was outside with her cousin, who's but the cousin's wife was with me. Um, so we, we made a few days out of it. But uh, the uh, that was a bit of fun as well. For this. It cost me a bit of um, uh, money in the jewelry store down in Limerick. But uh, hey, we had a great couple of days. Yes. Um, I take it she is not a... Um... A big fan? She's she's a fan. I suppose, to be fair, she's a very much uh, positive on the Western Star stuff. She'd be more the uh, classical uh, or semi-classical types and, and does singing herself. But um, some of the early rock stuff, she just find would be a bit guttural, uh, you know, too, too, too much emphasis on the throat and the guitar. And uh, so she would be more um, middle-of-the-road stuff. But she certainly loves Western Stars and... Uh, she found that uh, particularly pleasing. But uh, the earlier stuff, um, the, the, the 78 intro to uh, the, you know, any of those things that doesn't really re- resonate with her, unfortunately. But that's, you know, opposites attract sometimes, too, you know. <laughs> so um, Linda, my wife, um, really likes Western Stars, too. But she is, um, yeah, she is she she's a fan of seeing him live and she she will want to see him one time per tour but then that's enough for her uh so yeah that's that's pretty special um i have a couple questions um of logistics so if you've got to be there two or three days for the queue how do you do bathroom breaks food beverages i mean how do you make all that work that do you do you have wet wipes to kind of keep you fresh um i'm sure someone holds your place while you run to the local you know f- uh, not- facilities talk to me how you, what's the logistics of that well, the, the logistics the way we ran it obviously was uh, to tie up with it your, a lot of visitors were coming from overseas so we wanted them to see our city and uh, take take note of what's the attractions that dublin and its environs had to offer so we would have every uh, a roll call. The roll calls are huge. But the roll call was every four hours, and they weren't during the night, so people could go back to their hotels and bed and breakfasts or with their families. So every four hours, you would have to just um, number off. So if you were number one to two hundred, they would just go one, two, three. And if you weren't in the queue, then obviously you would lose your place. But then you could go off for four hours, come back in again, and uh, so we could eat bathroom breaks, take a bus tour, 
come back in four hours and we would have been there to check you in again. Oh, uh, nice. So it was like, and that first road call might be um, eight, nine in the morning and the last one would have been eight, nine at night. So there might have been maybe five road calls during the day. And um, so it was not, uh, it was, uh, there was no persecution. We were trying to um, have a bit of fun with everybody as well. Uh, we got some of the local radio stations to come down and interview the fans um, as to why they were here um, and how long they were, have been here and how many concerts they've seen and exactly the questions that you would ask. Okay. Uh, and the fans all thought this was great. So um, we didn't play any music because, again, we had uh, it's in a residential zone. So at the football stadium is right in the heart of a residential zone. So this is why they wanted it's not out, out in this. A lot of the football stadiums in the States are on the suburbs. This is right in the heart. It's about a, a mile from downtown. Um, the main the main drag is O'Connell Street and it's about a mile from there, if that. So um, it was very much they could access the city centre very quickly. Um, and there was a good little community there and some people had things to do and see, others didn't, and they just happy to chat, as I said earlier, you know, you start talking, and you know these guys, as I say, better than some of your distant cousins, for example, you know, so um, yeah, everybody got something from it, and uh, uh, I think it went off pretty well. That's awesome, I, I just, that sense of community makes it an experience, so as fun as the concert is, the lead up, you get to bond and make friends and and you know um is is a lot of fun that that's a great story do um sorry right, so next time when he's touring next i'm gonna have to have you get an app on your phone and you're gonna have to record people that are in the queue for me and then you can send it to me and i can do a a live from uh dublin special set lessing bruce episode that with you uh asking the question. So that sounds like a plan. Maybe you and Linda should come too, Jesse. Ah, uh, that, well, you know, if the new job works out well, that would be lovely. That would be lovely. Um, so talk to me. Um, obviously you loved Western stars, uh, the film and the CD. What'd you think of blinded by the light? Loved it. Loved it. Again, uh, just that the timing was, we would have been growing up in the eighties as well. If we were, yes in the 70s and 80s and we would have witnessed what was going on in the UK and I think um, I, I just thought the whole thing was very well written I, I'd, re I'd read the book um, you know a couple of years ago and I, th I thought that might be a nice uh, movie and then lo and behold it got uh, turned into a movie and I just thought it was first class um, but I think the archetypal um, left wing right wing stuff that was going on I, I remember all that on the television um, Margaret Thatcher the minor strike um, all all those um, uh, cultural differences that were going on in the UK uh, were certainly prevalent because most of our TV comes from abroad we've only two or three channels the rest of it is uh, UK channels and, and now uh, some American channels through the through uh, cable television mm -hmm. and stuff but our, our news medium would have been predominant in, predominated by uh, UK media in those days. So certainly brought some of those back. And um, again, as I said about my own situation, uh, the, the music and the, the words of the songs uh, meant something to uh, each of the actors involved. And uh, I thought it was very well done. Yeah, I especially like the way that they put the lyrics upon the screen. So to, to push the emphasis of... Um what it meant and how it was affecting the character. I think it's, it, it does a great job of showing not only the passion, but I also think the tendency of a newly converted uh, fan slash fanatic to almost overcompensate. And then you've got to come back a little bit. That's what Linda liked about it because she said, you know, at times you can be almost too, and I, and I, you know, too into Bruce. And I said, I totally agree. And and I think you they did a nice job of showing how you have to find a middle ground at times. So good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, So we're all hoping for a new album. We're all hoping for a new tour. Um, talk to me. Are there songs you haven't heard him perform live that you would like to have him hear? you want to hear live? 
I would be quite happy that I would have heard everything live that um, I would have wanted to hear. Uh, again, through shows as yours and other Bruce-related media, I, I can pick them up on Sirius XM or some of the other, uh, Tom Cunningham. They're, they're all beamed in here to Ireland, mm-hmm. so uh, thankfully we can get our, our good fill of um, E Street Nation um, music um, pretty much 24-7 if you want it. Uh, so I, I think most of it, obviously, but each concert, each tour, there's a different, um, maybe a different version. You can play uh, Born to Run as acoustic, Born to Run as full band, Born to Run as, you know, slow down. It's, yeah. Uh, and and he, he treats all the songs can be done like that. It's not just the, the three minute record. You know, it's uh, sure. it can be a seven minute version with, um, uh, you know, a long piano intro. It can be uh, it can be change so dramatically so i suppose what we look for is something that's unique some people try chase bruce to get uh, different songs on, on that they haven't heard but i think we've been very lucky uh that when i suppose in europe he, he certainly does the mainstream hits and then he would obviously the, the more i won't say obscure ones but the, the, the not so um the, the not what would you call them the, the anthems aren't always sung it's this this the more this, the, the uh you know, uh, what would you? The, there's a couple of uh, signs that just will never be sung, I suppose. You know, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, how many um, have you uh, have you been uh, able to see some of the E Street band members that have toured in Ireland? Have you got to see some of their shows? I, well, again, the same Bruce Buddies fanatics. We would tend to see most of their shows, all of their shows, if we can. So. Mm. Uh, when Jake was over, we would have uh, gone to Whelan's. When Steve Van Zandt was over last August, uh, 23rd of August, he played in Vicker Street. But the night before, the 22nd of August, he does some work through uh, his radio station um, with another, it's affiliated to a Dublin station. Mm-hmm. So he, Steve Van Zandt, he gave me 10 minutes. My son's big into the Sopranos. I'm big into Springsteen and Van Zandt. And he was just, he was down in Tower Records. And uh, the Underground Garage was there with uh, Dublin 103.4 FM. And um, a nicer guy you couldn't meet. And uh, uh, I know on the day, on, on concert day, like a bit like a match day in the football or baseball, yeah. it, it, it's hard for the stars to be as approachable because they've sure. got big uh, diary to do. The, the, the night before was perfect. And I know Steve does the, the prelim and... Uh, that's all in aid at teachrock.org, which is great. So you understand that uh, people who meet him just before the concert are doing it for a very uh, positive and charitable cause. But uh, uh, Gary Talent was here the previous year with uh, Kevin Montgomery. And uh, again, that was, I suppose was a bit of a, a new one. We hadn't seen Gary on his own, but uh, the two albums have been tremendous. And then Kevin Montgomery uh, was was a very good support. And uh, hey, we had a great time. There's some small venues here in Ireland, like Whelan's in particular, covers maybe four or 500 people. Um, and it, it was just ideal. And again, very open, approachable. They all went to the front afterwards to sign the merch. Niels Lofgren, likewise, um, comes to the front of the the uh, auditorium and signs all the merchandise as well. So uh, each of the E Street that have been here individually with the, with other bands or or solo are, are all very welcome. And yeah, very, very I, I I did the, I had the same experience. I was able to see Little Stephen the night before the show. Um, he was supposed to broadcast live, and they ended up that didn't work out. So he was just there having lunch with dinner with the band, and he met people and talked and visited and. So I was able to spend a few minutes with them. And then same thing when Niels played here in Dallas, um, you know, I was able to get my picture taken with them. Unfortunately, Jake and um, Gary did not tour in, you know, in Texas, though I'm hoping they do. I would like to see both of them live. I agree with you. I have loved both of Gary's solo works. I, I just think they've been really fun and in unexpected I, I knew little steven would do a great album i knew Niels would do a great album i even thought jake was but i was really happy to see gary who is sitting there quietly just playing the hell out of a bass to see this creativity on his part was just a it was really a nice treat it was great he's a very much more demonstrative than he would be on stage as you say you know hitting the, the four strings or whatever he was uh, quite a showman and uh Again, the band were super, um, and 
his, his young lady, his daughter Olivia, I think was on March, and she was very friendly and accommodating and all the rest. And you got the sense that these are, again, troubadours on the road and um, yes. very much uh, open to their audience. Uh, Max Weinberg hasn't traveled here um, uh, with his jukebox show, but when I was over in 2018, thankfully I saw him at the Stone Pony with the, with the, the Weaklings. And again, very approachable, and uh, the weaklings were very good and uh, doing the jukebox show. So each of the touring, obviously, we uh, you know Roy Bitten and and the other and uh, doesn't seem to do that. But uh, each of the other E Street members have been um, superb musicians and superb humans. Absolutely, we are really blessed. All right, uh, so it's time, Tom. I'm going to ask you the Mary question. So for those of you who have not ever listened to the show, um, the uh, we have um, one um, friend of the show and uh, often guest, uh, Jason Armstrong, is an honors English teacher, and he covers he, – he covers um, Thunder Road as a poem, and he sits there and discusses it as a, um, you know, kind of as a poem, discovers the story, compares it to The Road Less Traveled by Robert Frost, and at the very end, he asks the question of his class, does Mary get in the car? So, Tom, that is your question. At the end of Thunder Road, does Mary get in the car? I hope she does. <laughs> okay. I think she would. I think she would. Um, yeah, I think she would. Good. Uh, All right. And when you are, and then do you have the argument? Is it sways or waves? Yes. Uh, so uh, I actually we printed up a shirt that you can buy on the Set Listing Brew shirt uh, store that says the question isn't whether it sways or waves, it's does she get in the car? Yes. Uh, <laughs> so yes. Uh, so I I go with sways, um, but I certainly am not going to argue with the people that thinks it's ways. So very well. Um, any final thoughts, Tom? Well, just a couple, as you said about the poems. Um, Last Sunday, I was in Glasgow at the uh, Glasgow Royal Concert Hall, where the Celtic Connections um, have an 18-day music festival in Glasgow. And they had a 70th birthday tribute um, for Bruce Springsteen. So a number of different artists uh, were, were there. Ryan Bingham from Los Angeles, uh, Roddy Hart, who put it together. Uh, his band was The Lonesome Fire. Lisa Hannigan from Ireland was over singing. Um, Don Shaw was on accordion. Jonathan Wilson, uh, Phil Campbell, um, he, he his treatment of western stars was like a poem it, mm. it worked very well there was three songs uh, of bruce's in the first half growing up western stars and jungle land jungle land was uh, sung by the, the the whole steady um lead singer as well that that worked very well um so uh, again the, the words are so good sometimes you can treat them differently uh, and then uniquely i think here in ireland um on the 11th of october 2017 Lemo wainley Who's the uh, lead singer with the, or was lead singer with the Hothouse Flowers here? He was the uh, main singer with a group of musicians who translated about 12 of Bruce's songs into Irish. And I think uh, that was the first time I'd heard Bruce's songs translated into a different language than English. Um, and I checked that with Eileen Chapman, who I send all the Irish material to with the Bruce Springsteen archives in New Jersey. And thankfully, yeah. we're on, on set in, at the archives uh, in 2018. Um, so I might, um, I'll let your audience uh, see what they say. But some of the poems there, uh, Limo Maley's treatment of Atlantic City was like a poem, because obviously with the translation, um, it doesn't really work if you try to match it with the the, the different um, beats in the in, in the song itself. But racing the river, ghost of Tom Jones, down, downbound train, um, they're, they're all superb, uh, uh, superbly translated uh, into the Irish language and still given the the rock and roll beat. The Celtic Connections um, festival in Glasgow was more like a cover of uh, Bruce's uh, material, um, where this one was a bit different. I thought going over with um, Celtic connections can be Irish and Scottish use the same Gaelic or different versions of the Irish mm -hmm. and Scottish language. Um, and uh, other than that, I, I think uh, your audience would be interested to hear um, uh, the, the different versions. So hopefully that will work out. 
and hopefully the next uh, tour we'll meet uh, Donna from Bruce Funds. I'm happy to help her, being the Irish Bruce Funds ambassador, to get tickets into those who haven't heard the man himself and uh, try to make a difference in their lives as well. That sounds absolutely wonderful. And yes, uh, you're going to try to, we're going to try to share some of those songs and uh, you're going to try to get them to me because I would love to hear them. Um, I, if you're on, if someone wants to reach you, are you on Twitter? Yes. I, uh, thankfully, you mentioned it earlier, at TommyMaxC321. That's the one we use for the pit queue. So uh, keep that in your phones for the, the Dublin tour. Uh, ask Tommy Maxie 321. Uh, I'm also on Instagram and on Facebook, Tom McCormick. There's a picture of uh, Stevie and myself um, on, a, on a previous tour. Um, uh, is my profile pic and look forward to dealing um, with any queries that come in on um, Irish-related venues, concerts, anything like that to do with Bruce. We'll, uh, uh, we also promote whatever we can that's coming up to uh, any fans of the E Street or uh, be it Light of Day Ireland, which takes place here the day after Thanksgiving. There's different tribute bands. Um, both the Springsteens here in Ireland have uh, Joey Brennan and the, uh, Jerry Brennan in the, in the UK is superb. Obviously, the Hungry Heart. I don't know if you've heard of Hungry Heart Discos. These are yes, just I've heard like of people. those. And uh, they are in town on the 15th of February here in Dublin. So if you're traveling to Dublin or Europe, you know, just there's a global network of um, fellow addicts that might, you know, satisfy your uh, need for Bruce music. So uh, just keep in touch and we look forward to seeing you in Dublin or at least helping you on your way wherever it is throughout Europe and beyond. All right, very nice. Hang tight while I do a little business. If you want to join me and share your Springsteen story, I'd love to have you. Several ways you can reach me. You can email me at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can go to I'm on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is on Twitter at setlustingbruce. We are on Facebook. We are on, uh, we have a website, www.setlustingbruce.com. From there, you can find our Patreon page and you can find our store where you can buy a Mary t-shirt. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Go to iTunes, rate and review the podcast. We would appreciate it. Tom, this has been a joy. I, I just love talking to you. Um, you have great stories. I love your passion for the music, not just Bruce, but music in full and your joy of life. So thank you so much for spending time with me. Look forward to seeing you in Dublin, Jesse. That sounds great. And for now, we will talk to you soon. And have a great day. Thank you, guys. See you further on up the road. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listening Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission.